0: Everyone, Welcome back to Let's Talk About It. Um, I'm, my name is Megan. And I'm Jackie. And today we are continuing our conversation on mental health. And Jackie will be sharing her story and her experience um, throughout her life to up to where she is now. And I, for one, am really excited to just hear Jackie really get into it and talk about these really important, um, but some might consider taboo issues. So without further ado, Jackie, why don't you get started?
1: Thanks, Megan. Um, I just want to preface kind of a trigger warning. I am going to be talking about things related to self-harm and suicide and suicide ideation. Um, So if that's something that really triggers you, I would skip this episode or, you know, just tread very lightly. Because I know that some of these things can be really triggering for people. So I will just start from the beginning. So we just recorded Megan's episode, and it was so funny the similarities that we have. Mm -hmm. I also remember having anxiety as early as I have memories. I just was constantly nervous and fidgeting. I remember just being in daycare, and I was always afraid that my mom would forget me. And I would have constant anxiety, like sickness, about going to daycare. Mm -hmm. And my stomach of course, I didn't know what that was, but now I can look back and see that it was definitely anxiety. And I remember having vivid nightmares and waking up screaming. And I just have this memory, you know, of my parents... I'm like this little girl and I'm holding me and me just having this the overwhelming feeling of just like hopelessness and doom from this like nightmare that I had. And me just saying to my parents, like, I don't want to be here anymore. And my mom just being so freaked out, like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. you're a little girl. What is, oh. what is happening? Um, but my parents never took me to therapy or anything. I think they thought it was something that I would just grow out of. For me, it was always seen as you're just so sensitive mm. growing up. You're so sensitive. You're just so emotional and that's what it was kind of just labeled my entire life um and just some other things I had night tears at one point in my life where you can definitely look those up but you just wake up screaming and I wouldn't remember it but I would wake up screaming and like wake up my parents it it just freaked them out for a really long time and they did bring me to a doctor but I never went to a therapist which is really interesting that my you know pediatrician I think she just kind of saw it as oh it's something that she'll grow out of Mm. and Night terrors generally are just things that children will grow out of, but that means there's something more deeply wrong. So it's just that your symptoms evolve and change as you get older, but you still have that core issue of anxiety. And some other things that I just look back on, and it's kind of like, it's funny and cute, but I kind of feel bad for little Jackie. I mean, every night I would go through this list of prayers. I would pray that I wouldn't be kidnapped. That no tornadoes, there are no tornadoes in my area. I just oh. decided these were things I was scared of. Floods or hurricanes would hit my house, that my house wouldn't like catch on fire and I had to go through hurricanes in Ohio (laughs) I know but from the Ohio River but I had to go through all of these prayers or I was convinced these things would happen Hmm. and I just remember being in the car with my mom and I refused to fall asleep in the car because I thought I had to like watch out on the sides of the car for any cars that might hit us and if I did it would be my fault if we got into a car accident so like these little things I like put in my head that I was super anxious about And I would be anxious about math class and get sick to my stomach all the time. I very remember, very clearly remember as like a first grader walking to math class and just being sick because I didn't want to go. And I would avoid doing certain homework because it made me too anxious, which I think people don't always recognize. Like some Mm -hmm. people aren't doing certain work or such they see as laziness. It's just I would just be too anxious to do it. Like, it would freak me out to even try to do it. So I would just avoid it. And, of course, then I just got disciplined and my mom just yelled at me. And I had to, over the summer, do all of the math, math worksheets I decided that I wasn't going to do
0: during the year. That's such an interesting thing to bring up, too, that so often we address the symptoms as if they are the root problem. Mm-hmm. Like, these behaviors, this, you know, even the, the night terrors, all these things. But we don't look to that being a symptom and that the root cause may be anxiety, Uh, which is a good thing if you're listening and you're a parent to look out for. You know, if you are seeing behavioral things in your kids, there could be more going on. Mm -hmm. It's it's worth even just considering and looking into.
1: For sure. And a lot of times when little kids constantly complain about their stomach hurting. Yeah. That is usually anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had constant stomach aches and such. And my parents were just like, oh, she's faking it. Or she's fine. You know, just kind of brush over it. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things, if you're a parent, you really just cannot brush over those things mm-hmm. because they will turn into bigger issues, as you see in Megan and I's story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and something else, I was just very sad child. Very emotional. It just got labeled as emotional, but I would cry a lot. And I don't know if that was early signs of depression because as I'll talk about later, I didn't really notice depression in my life until... I was around 13, but I definitely think that that was something that I was dealing with even at a young age as well. So I guess one really significant event in my life that I can remember, which I'd already had all of these symptoms before, as I said, but when I was in third grade, my mom and I were in a very serious car accident where... I had this moment when my mom actually, our car like flipped over on its side. It was, it was just, it was a really bad accident and my mom hit her head and so she was like passed out for a few minutes and like as a little girl, I'm like hanging in the car on my seatbelt because the car flipped over and I'm screaming for my mom and I thought she was dead Mm. because she wasn't answering me. So that was probably like one of the key most traumatizing moments in my life that, really just, it was a very traumatizing experience. And that's when the night terrors really started. And I was constantly anxious that my mom was going to die because she was very seriously hurt. She had to be lifelighted to a hospital in the nearest big city, had to have major surgery, and it was just months and months of recovery. And I was just constantly afraid after that. You know, when we were driving, that, you know, obviously we were going to be in another accident. And I would have breakdowns at school. I remember very clearly, I think I was in fourth grade. It was the year after where I just had a meltdown at school where I thought like my mom had said something in the car on our way to school that she wasn't feeling well. And so I just convinced myself she was going to die. So I remember crying in my principal's office, just sobbing mm. that I thought my mom was going to die. Um, and so that was like a fear that I had. And I actually, be- from the accident, I went to therapy as a little girl. But all I really remember is me playing with dolls and like talking to the therapist about this fear about my mom dying and I don't remember what the end result of that was but they determined that I was healthy and okay which is very interesting interesting. and I never was really further (laughs) looked at or observed so that's it definitely was symptoms that like lasted the rest of my life because you know after that I like I said I had already had anxiety but things got really really bad and I was just constantly afraid all the time and I also convinced myself that I had every illness ever, like ever. I was brought to the doctor multiple times for different things that I thought were wrong with me. Um, like these symptoms I would tell my mom about and the doctor would be like, no, she's fine. But I just, I had anxiety about everything. I always thought that I myself was dying. (laughs) So, and I was a little girl. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first time I ever think I really noticed myself struggling with depression though, um, was when I was, 13 and there was a tragedy in our family where my cousin committed suicide and that ripped my family apart Um, I watched my mom and then of course obviously his mother and like that family just go through their own obviously grief and depression Um, And during the same time, I was dealing with bullying from friends and such. And that was the first time I remember ever having a panic attack was during that time Mm. where I felt I thought I was dying. My chest got tight. I thought I was going to pass out. I just remember feeling so hopeless and like feeling stuck and not knowing how to get out. And yeah, that was my first experience of that. I had no idea what was going on. I I was convinced. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. My chest, like my heart is going to give out. Mm. Um, I eventually... You know was able to calm down I had no idea but then from that point on the panic attacks continued I had really bad depression and I would say since I was 13 you know I just went through bouts of depression of course my anxiety continued
0: so how did that kind of play out as you grew up um, and kind of were developing you know like we talked about in the previous episode there's just struggles that come along with growing up and getting older But now you have the added struggle of anxiety and then also depression. Mm -hmm. So how did that kind of just play out as you enter high school and go through those experiences? Yeah, I think we all
1: find ways to cope with our anxiety. And for me, once I entered into high school, I became obsessed with my grades. And when I would obsessively study, it was almost an OCD thing, where if I didn't study a certain amount, I thought I was going to fail and I would be a failure and I should just die. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just, it was an obsessive thing. And I always thought I was going to fail no matter what. I had this constant anxiety. I would sick to my stomach. I would throw up before tests. Just, it was like life or death, what grade I got. And I think a lot of that also was tied back to when I was bullied when I was 13. You know, I had these girls say to me, you're too ugly to be our friend. And so I thought, oh, well, great. Like, I'm ugly. And there's all these other things I don't like <laughs> about myself. But one thing I can't control or my grades and that's yeah. where I will find my worth that's what I will obsess over and so that's what I did and I had to get straight A's all the time and I was constantly in fear that I wouldn't you know I was just was sick all the time and was mm-hmm. constantly studying but that was how I coped and no one thought anything of it because I was getting straight A's everyone mm-hmm. thought she's fine that like they wouldn't look at me and think oh she struggles with a mental illness because I was involved in extracurricular activities I ran track I You know, was doing well. I think if you sat down with me and actually like spoke to me and understood the symptoms of anxiety and depression, you would see "Um, something's a little wrong with this girl. She shouldn't be crying and throwing up before a test she studied for days for. (laughs) But everyone just thought, oh, she's an overachiever. She's going to be so successful.
0: And people thought I was totally fine when really I was not. And that's such a good point to bring up too. Is like there is kind of um. This like picture or image people have when they consider someone who's mentally ill, right? And it's like a person who's just like failing, who's giving up on life, who like does not have it all together. And that could be the case in like some people and in some situations. But there is the reality too that for some people they channel that anxiety and that mental distress into trying to perfect their surroundings Mm -hmm. which is kind of what you're you know Mm -hmm. expressing you know it's well if I can control my grades if I can control these extracurricular activities if I can do it all be it all you know and be perfect at it then maybe I won't feel this way and so it's not just the people who look like they're a mess that deserve our compassion it's also the people who are seemingly succeeding that could be hiding this horrible turmoil <laughs> inside them and mm-hmm, deeply need help mm-hmm. and for them they almost sometimes may feel more alone because it is so hidden
1: yeah it's like high functioning mental illness like just like there's high functioning you know alcoholics and drug addicts it really is the same thing and you cannot always tell from the outside what someone is going through for um, sure.
0: so when do you feel like it really started getting worse
1: yeah so I my junior year of high school it was like a very slow and steady just decline Mm. into being very seriously depressed and i'd always just been constantly anxious i was just i didn't even realize that that wasn't how everyone else always felt was constantly sick to your stomach constantly worrying about everything thinking that you had every illness i just didn't even realize because that's how i'd grown up since i was i like i said have memories but i i my depression got really, really bad. I think that was a time when my hormones kind of started changing. I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I think it's around three year <laughs> of high school when so my hormones really started to kind of set in and change. I also really started struggling with my eating, which not eating is not great for your mental health as well, which we did a whole episode on um, that I struggle with an eating disorder. So I'm not going to get into that too much, but that definitely
0: played a role.
1: Definitely played a role. Didn't help. I can't pinpoint one moment, but I can pinpoint this one moment when I realized, oh my gosh, I am depressed. Like before when I was going through those bouts of depression, I didn't realize it was depression and it wasn't serious or long enough, I guess, that I really would notice it. And I was young, but I had this moment where, this is kind of funny, I went to a One Direction concert. I was 17. I'm obsessed with One Direction. Uh, Harry Styles, I'm in love with him. If you're listening, Harry, because you're definitely going to be listening to this, like hit me up. Uh, love you. I'm exactly single. I am so single. and ready to mingle with Harry Styles. So, <laughs> so I went and I was like, this is going to be like, I was feeling depressed, but I was like, just holding on to this one thing. I was like, this is going to make me happy. Like, this is going to be so amazing. I want to see the love of my life in person. Like, are you kidding me? And I remember leaving that concert, even like right after it, like just sitting in the hotel room and being like, "Mm, I feel kind of empty. And then going home and sitting there and being like, I feel absolutely nothing. Like I just saw my favorite band. I actually met their opener, Five Seconds of Summer, which they're much famous now, but I met them, have pictures, different story for another day, (laughs) but And I felt so empty, so hopeless. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I am depressed and I don't know what to do. I was lethargic every day. I could barely move or get out of bed. I was just constantly crying. I put off work. I had all this summer work to do before my senior senior year of high school for this English class I was in. I just put it off because... Either I was too anxious and it made me sick to my stomach to think about doing the work, or I was severely depressed on some days and I just could not do anything. I couldn't I felt like I could barely breathe. It like hurt to exist. I didn't have the energy to exist, it felt like. <laughs> so this is what I was dealing with going into, you know, and I was barely eating because I just was too depressed, or I just didn't want to like look fat. I had a lot going on. I had an eating disorder, depression, anxiety. So there was just it was a lot. Um I wasn't suicidal, but I wanted to die. And I would think about hurting myself. I had, like, a vivid memory of standing by a fire and just wanting to throw myself into it, which is, looking back, it, like, scares me. I even read my journal entries from this Mm -hmm. time, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I just, I just yeah I hated myself both my body and myself just as a person and I really had no hope for the future and I was pretty sure I would just fail (laughs) and the only things that really helped me to cope was as you know as Megan said in her episode was entertainment and just I would constantly be like watching videos on YouTube to distract myself or listening to music that was this big thing I pretty much really damaged my hearing with how much I listened to music and headphones. Like during that time, I could not not be listening to music. Mm. It was the only thing I could do to like stay out of my head or like the thoughts of me, like me thinking I was going to hurt, like thinking about hurting myself or all the other things that were stressing me out. So you could not find me without like headphones in, even at my house, especially during my senior year of high school, which looking back is so disturbing of how much mm. I could not stand to just exist and like be in my own head
0: yeah and i think you know for anyone listening who's been in that place like you have to find coping mechanisms Mm -hmm. or you don't survive so for you jackie how did you kind of find coping mechanisms what were they what did you kind of turn to yeah so i had a bit of i would say a reprieve
1: from my really serious symptoms the summer after i graduated from high school i went vegan for Not the healthiest reasons. I kind of, I think I touch on this in my eating disorder episode. But either way, I just started eating a lot more of nutritious foods, drinking a lot more water. I had more energy, so I was exercising more. And I just felt not depressed. I still had pretty bad anxiety, but I wasn't depressed anymore. And I convinced myself in that moment then that that was all you needed for depression. I thought people that take medicine are just lazy and they don't take the time to figure out what is wrong with them and actually deal with their issues or they don't want to make the hard lifestyle changes, you know, like going vegan because at the time I thought everyone should be vegan. (laughs) I'm not even vegan anymore. So anyway, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, and so I, I just thought, that's all you needed to cure your illness was like positive thinking and water and green smoothies and working out. And I definitely was still dealing with bouts of depression during that time looking back, but it was just so much better. I didn't want to constantly die that I was like, this is it. I still had terrible anxiety though. Um, And I was still very anxious. I would say my freshman year of college, but yeah, my depression was a lot better. Um, But I think A really big trigger that hit me, which I know people are always shocked when I say this. But um, the summer after my freshman year of high school, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And obviously, that's a very just like traumatic and jarring event to happen when you're 18 years old. So that right there was a huge trigger for my depression, my anxiety. And because I'd never really addressed any of those symptoms before with therapy and like proper coping mechanisms, I just like fell apart. And things got much worse
0: again Mm -hmm. yeah that's a lot and it's so interesting to you bring up the you know the healthy eating and drinking water you know we talked about this in the previous episode like those are all good things Mm -hmm. but for someone reaching to that as a coping mechanism as a way to survive like it does become an unhealthy obsession and it doesn't completely solve the problem so where did you kind of find yourself as you were navigating those things
1: Yeah. So I went through all of that. I had to go through different, you know, surgery and treatments and yeah, that was a lot for me and I never, I should have been, I should have been put in therapy. I should have been going to therapy. Anyone who goes through such a dramatic and traumatic life event should be addressing that. I mean, yeah, but I never, I never did and i also had this stigma against those things because i thought no i'm fine i fixed it before i can fix it again so i just kept doing the healthy eating the exercising so now we're in my sophomore year of college and one of my best friends who had struggled with her mental health as well like up to this point got really really bad and she ended up in the hospital for trying to commit suicide and i remember going to visit her in the hospital and just thinking to myself oh my gosh i never want to end up here So then I just had this fear of any kind of like medical or professional help because I was like, if I ever tell anyone about the stuff I'm going through, they're going to stick me in one of these places. Mm. And I just did not want to deal with that. And even though she she even told me she had a, a pretty positive experience of it helping her, I was just like, no. But that really affected me. I think when the people around you are dealing with extreme mental illness, it's going to affect you as well. And so I just spiraled into my own just the deepest depression I've ever felt in my life and of course my anxiety throughout all this time was just consistently terrible and that was the first time I remember becoming suicidal I thought about it a lot I was convinced I would die by suicide one day I just thought there's no way I'm gonna make it out of this there's just there's no hope I felt useless, like no one would really miss me. I thought like people are going to be sad, but they're, they're eventually going to realize they're better off without me. And these are thoughts that I really thought. I look back mm-hmm. and even in my worst moments now, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh. It's just crazy how much depression can just manipulate and twist your thoughts and like mm-hmm. everything around you. You know, now I'm like, of course my parents would miss me. Of course people would be, like, devastated. But in your brain then, none of that is, nothing is rational. You just, like, depression just kind of tangles in there and tangles all of your thoughts up and manipulates everything where you really think this is true.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then I'm going to say the only thing that really stopped me from committing suicide the few times that I really got close was a fear of hell. (laughs) Mm. I just, you know, especially as Catholics, suicide is, like, seen as a mortal sin which of course if you're dealing with mental illness we don't say that people that have committed suicide go to hell but that was the practice before and of course there's always that fear like you don't know what you're gonna face you know when this happened when after you die so that was pretty much the only thing that kept me from doing it um when I would get really close but even then I was very disconnected from my faith it was really just a fear-based thing it wasn't like an actual faithfulness in God um Megan shared about this in her story. But yeah, it seems as if God has completely abandoned you. You're going Mm -hmm. through this darkness of just wanting to die and crying out and feeling like he is not listening to you at all. And yeah, that was a really dark time for me in my faith. I felt like God had abandoned me. He just did not care. He wasn't helping me. And he didn't really care about me, which is why I thought, you know, dying was really the only option because he was never going to help me. He was never going to come save me. From what I was going through,
0: yeah, and i I think that's those are very common fears and feelings, because obviously we know like God is not distant, He is not turning a deaf ear towards us, but when you're in such distress and you're not getting the answer that you are expecting or wanting, it can feel so rejecting and so hard um and yeah. I just have so much compassion for people going through that because that is such a a difficult place to be in and, and you can feel like you're kind of at rock bottom. So you're kind of at this point in your life, you really haven't been in any kind of treatment or therapy except for when you were very, very, very young, which you can barely remember. So at what point do you really feel like you got to the place where you first started kind of going that
1: route? Yeah, so it was the summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school, not high school, college, sorry. There is a difference. <laughs> yeah, we're not going all the way back there right now, um, where I just had this moment, and I think it was divinely inspired from the Holy Spirit, where I just remember I was literally at my job where I used to clean old like apartment buildings on my college campus, and I clearly remember sitting there cleaning out the freezer. <laughs> Very exciting thing. I know. <laughs> and I just had this moment where I was like, I have to get help. I have to or I'm going to kill myself like I have to get help and it was just this moment of clarity where I was like okay I can get better I can do this but I need someone to help me because before as I said mental mental illness is not rational these things that you think like everyone's better off without me there's no hope I need to kill myself all these little things that like come up where you're like this is the end it is not rational because you cannot think rationally when you're severely depressed. Or severely anxious.
0: And sometimes you you do have those rational thoughts mm -hmm. and they're almost battling the irrational. Exactly. At the same
1: time. (laughs) Yeah. And it's very hard to be rational. But I had this just moment of clarity. So I called my doctor and I just made an appointment. And I went in to her and I remember sitting there and I told her, you know, I've just been really struggling with depression and thinking about killing myself. And it was so funny because she had that just like doctor, like cheery face on. She was like, oh, okay well we're gonna get you into someone today so clearly it was very serious but Uh, she was just like you know you're gonna be okay we're gonna you know I'm gonna send you I'm gonna call you know the local center for this kind of stuff mental health and you're gonna go down today and have an appointment with the psychiatrist there she's like we'll take care of you like you're gonna be okay but it was just so nonchalant and I remember saying you know, we don't have to do all this all so quickly. Like, I just was still very resistant to treatment, even Mm -hmm. sitting there. And she was like, well, I wouldn't just leave you (laughs) if you had, like, high, you know, high blood pressure or diabetes. I wouldn't just leave you without help. She's like, so I really think, you know, medication might be a good option for you, but we'll let you go to the psychiatrist first because as a nurse practitioner, she didn't feel comfortable um, giving me medication for my mental illness. So... (laughs) Literally that day, I went down to our local mental health center <laughs> and I saw a psychiatrist. And it finally on that day, it was not until yeah, I was almost a senior in college that I was diagnosed with panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and severe depression. Um, and I was prescribed a medication and I saw a therapist, too, for the very first time. And, you know, when this happened, they like called my mom, even though I was over 18 they were like is there anyone that we can call for you like a, you know a family member or something to come talk with actually with a the therapist that was there and my mom came and I remember sitting there it's the first time I've really told her that I had struggled with suicidal thoughts and depression and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, sobbing to the therapist and my mom took it as an attack against her mm. which I I don't mean to attack my mom on this. I think a lot of parents have this same reaction Mm -hmm. because they feel as if they failed their child if their child is dealing with this. They don't understand that it could be more of a, you know, a genetic thing or, you know, just various reasons, but they, they just can't, I think.
0: There's guilt there.
1: There's a lot of guilt, and I think they can't reconcile with that. Mm -hmm. So they just want to deny it or push it off. So my mom was just not really, was not having it. And I actually was, they, They tried to put me in the hospital then, but my mom was like, no, we can't afford that. She doesn't need that. Like she doesn't, we're not doing that. And then we left and my mom was just like very upset with me and was like, well, you know, you can pay for all these treatments yourself, but I'm not going to, like, you've never, (laughs) you didn't go through anything bad enough. That's, you know, the thing you didn't go through anything bad enough for you to be feeling this way. Like you have a good life
0: Mm -hmm. because that's the only reason someone would struggle <laughs> yeah and I mean if you hear my story clearly
1: I did go through some pretty traumatic things but because in that moment in my life things weren't that bad mm-hmm. she couldn't understand how I could be struggling and even if I hadn't gone through those things if I was genetically had like uh, an imbalance in chemicals and I would be feeling these things but she just didn't she didn't get it but either way I did keep going to this psychiatrist and therapist but then i got the bill in the mail and even with my insurance at the time which wasn't good it was way too expensive and this is where my mom came in and changed her ways and she actually helped pay for it all and paid it off for me because i was only 18 and still in college (laughs) so my mom did turn like you know come around i think it was just really a shock for her but anyway i think that shows a flaw in our mental health system That I couldn't get therapy Mm -hmm. or medication for my very severe mental illness. So I had to stop because it was way too expensive. If you didn't have good enough insurance, you were pretty much screwed. Even though it was extremely necessary. Mm -hmm. So there's... Yeah, so I stopped going. I was okay for a little while. I also have to say that when I was... On medication at this time, which I don't know if I forgot to mention that I was by the psychiatrist. I wasn't taking it consistently because I had this thing in my brain where I was like, I don't need it, I just need to get back to my healthy Mm -hmm. eating, my exercise. I don't need it. So I wasn't even taking it consistently or giving it a chance. Which isn't how it works. (laughs) Which is not how it works. If you're taking medication, you need to take it every day. Take it as prescribed. (laughs) Yes. So yes, I went into my junior year of college. I'm still depressed because things got better for a little bit, but then it all got terrible again. I had two very significant moments my junior year of college where I was, like, minutes away from committing suicide, which I'm not going to get into the details or too much of, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was really, really bad. Um, And before those or between those two instances, I, like, just constantly thought about ways to hurt myself, ways I could die, wanting to be hit by a car. I would say it all the time to my friends and I thought I was joking, but I was not joking. I wanted to get hit by a car. Um, But one of those breakdowns happened on my college campus where I was just like, I need to just go home and drive home and, you know, take my life. I ended up um, someone, my boss at the campus ended up intervening and brought me to the counseling center on campus and that's when I started finally seeing a therapist again and they sent me to the doctor or the nurse practitioner on our college campus and she's the one that got me started on medication again and I was at the point where I was like I will try anything Mm -hmm. the healthy eating the exercise all the other coping mechanisms that I used they are not working and if I do not do this I will kill myself Mm -hmm. I have to like give this a chance and I was just so sick and exhausted of living this way that I finally started taking the medication consistently i started going to therapy consistently it was much more affordable thank you god i was on a college campus Mm. where it was affordable Mm -hmm. because that saved my life it didn't happen all at once but the medication slowly started working and i wasn't suicidal anymore i still had symptoms because i think it takes some time to set in once you find the right one but it changed my entire life Mm -hmm. once i had that baseline of my medication I was able to work out again, eat healthy, yeah, and go to therapy, and for it to
0: actually work and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so important to share. You know, we talked about this before too, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about this again. But everyone is different, and they just need different treatments. And that treatment might look different for you, but for some people. They need that combination of medication as well as just a healthy lifestyle, as well as therapy, as well as healthy Mm. relationships and all of these other things. But that doesn't mean that that healthy lifestyle is enough or even possible if someone is not, you know, chemically balanced in their brain mentally and is not okay. So for you, Jackie, you know, you're finally starting to see relief in your symptoms. Um... How do you feel like this kind of develops where you kind of started seeing this change to get better?
1: Yeah. So instantly the first thing I really noticed is I wasn't suicidal anymore. <laughs> but luckily, that's the first thing, you know, the medication really addressed mm. was that because that was not great. Um, no. I was a lot less depressed. My anxiety, it took a lot longer for it to slowly go away. So, you know, for the rest of my junior year and even into that summer, I still had really, really bad anxiety. Um, but because my depression was better, I was able to get m- back into my faith more. And it was, you know, the end of that summer into my senior year of college I had a huge reversion to my Catholic faith. And that changed my entire life. Suddenly, all of my struggles, I didn't feel like I was going through them alone anymore. I was still struggling, but I knew I had Jesus <laughs> with me mm-hmm. in it all and all of the other you know in my own faith journey I can talk about as a Catholic like Mary and in the intercession of the saints and all of that which ultimately just leads you back to Jesus was a huge thing for me in a way of like coping and healthy coping through what I was dealing with and I think for me that just shows the importance of having you know we're holistic beings so having that medical side and that spiritual side and the emotional side all in line which are different methods that you can use Mm -hmm. um we are holistic beings, so everything affects affects each other. Like your spiritual health will affect your physical and emotional health, just as your physical and your emotional health will affect your spiritual life. So having all of those things a lot more in order, I just felt like a lot more balanced, a lot healthier. And I feel like I really f- came alive my senior year of high school. I was still dealing with anxiety and such, but everyone around me was like, oh my gosh, Jackie, like you're just so much more confident. You're so much happier we can tell you're just really like on fire for your face. And I just couldn't believe that this is how everyone else had been living.
0: Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I just
1: like the normal things of waking up and not feeling this heaviness and sickness in your chest and like this constant dread like cloud over you. And I could just breathe normally. I couldn't believe this is how other people lived because almost my entire life I lived with depression, anxiety literally just like sucking the life from me. And it was just it was the most incredible thing ever. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think, I, you know, personally, too, I remember that, like, first day where the medication really, like, hit, clicked in. <laughs> and I, like, woke up and I was like, huh, oh, what is this feeling? And, like, went to work the whole day. I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And then I got to the bed. I was like, oh, I don't have anxiety right now. That's what's going on. <laughs> so I it is know. like that kind of the realization hits when you're like. I was just living like that how did I do it (laughs) I know and now
1: I'll have days still when my anxiety gets really bad but it's not every day and constant and even on those days I'm like okay I know things are gonna get better like and I have better ways to cope but I just think how did I live so long feeling like that yeah it's just yeah it's crazy and I just feel for anyone that's still going through this I just really encourage you to get help to reach out because you can be better and we talked about this in Megan's episode but you know you don't have to live this way you mm-hmm. know even as, even as a Christian we think that this is like the cross we have to bear no right. Jesus doesn't want us to go through unnecessary suffering there's suffering in our life that we will face that we cannot avoid we cannot make any better but getting treatment for our mental illness is something we definitely can take control of. that he's given people the gifts to help us with mm-hmm. and that is something we need to be doing and Um, something he can work through and he can work through yeah of course but he wants us to use the means around us you know that are good and moral to get better
0: (laughs) yeah and i and i also love how you just pointed out you know that there are these different facets to our person you know there's that the spiritual there's the physical there's emotional like we are holistic but also multifaceted beings um so where are you kind of at now in your journey Mm
1: -hmm. yeah so now i'm living in chicago which is where i met megan (laughs) and i am you know just doing much better like i said i still struggle when i first moved to chicago so in 2018 which now is almost two years ago Mm -hmm. i of course went through the normal like you're moving it's a huge (laughs) life change um
0: transition is really hard in that transition
1: you know a lot of stuff came up I feel like when you transition a lot of like just trauma and stuff from my past which was causing me to feel a lot of depression anxiety symptoms still not as bad as before I was taking medication and such but I went to an amazing therapist who really just worked through all these things with me and really worked through not just like changing your thought patterns you know like Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, CBT, which we talked about in a little bit in Megan's episode, but really just like feeling in your body where you feel that anxiety and addressing it. Mm. And I can't even explain what she did, but she was an amazing therapist and I was able to work through a lot of things that I had not ever worked through before. Stuff from my childhood I didn't even realize was affecting me. Mm. And really, you know, just changing the way that I thought and all these unhealthy thinking patterns that I had had become ingrained in me at such a young age that I was able to work through. And I'm still working through them through, you know, I've been in therapy on and off um, and through prayer and such. You kind of work through Mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm doing (laughs) much better. I'm healing. I'm growing. I think it's a lifelong journey working through these things and in it i think jesus comes to us very close and all of this suffering as well and is with us even if he doesn't automatically take it away
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i think we mentioned this before but you know it's not that it really completely goes away it's that you start that process of healing and so that's also important to bring up if you feel hopeless because you feel like you're not like completely better we still live in a fallen, broken world where our bodies and our minds and every our souls are, are shattered because of the fall. Um, but there is that hope that God has granted us these tools and these treatments um, mm-hmm. to help us in healing and managing and getting through this. Um, and that there's also that ultimate hope that one day, you know, we... Will be in our our heavenly bodies, mm-hmm. and that there will be no pain and suffering, and He will wipe every tear from our eyes. And that is such a beautiful hope and, um, and reality to look forward to. Yeah.
1: And um, my story of yeah, dealing with mental illness, a lot, I see a lot of just hope and redemption, mm-hmm. and just the way that God can work in those messy places, even when we feel so hopeless and all the, like the journey that I've been on and where I am now just can look back and see God working through all of that. And now even I see some of, you know, the goodness that comes from it, not only becoming closer to Jesus through that suffering, but also that I can help other people or be there for other people and truly understand what they are going through when they tell me they're struggling with anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. I was able to, my senior year, give my testimony to a large group of women and just my story seems so insignificant and small and not very important, but you know, other people wanted me to share it and just seeing how God has used my own suffering and my own story to really reach out and give other people hope is a mm-hmm. really beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm just so thankful for his mercy and the way that he works through even the messiness and wounds of our humanity.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so awesome too. And I, I I can attest to this. I think Jack can can attest to this. It's also really healing to do what we just sit down, like sit down, just outline like every like part of your journey Mm -hmm. and you'll see looking at it like, wow, I remember being in that year going through these things and just feeling so alone. And now I see where God has brought me and that he was there and that can be so redeeming and healing. And so If you have someone in your life that you can share this with, that can be really helpful. If you can journal it, if you can outline it, whatever really helps you kind of see the progression and what has taken you to where you are now, it can be so redeeming to see how God has just very subtly worked in all of those moments and Mm -hmm. brought you to where you are now. Yeah. I mean, I
1: look back at my journal entries from when I was in high school and college and so severely depressed and just oh my gosh they're so you just see so much pain and I feel almost distant from that person just because of where God has brought me now mm-hmm. so just seeing even the progression in my writing the things that I write about now versus then it's just such a beautiful testament to God's mercy and God's healing and I'm so thankful for that. And I just I just really want to reach out to anyone who, right now who's dealing with anxiety and depression. Like there is a, there was a long period in my life where I didn't think I'd be here right now. I thought for sure I was going to die by suicide, that I would be miserable forever. The only way to get out of it was to die. Or I felt stuck because I was afraid to die. Mm-hmm. But I was also afraid to live. It was miserable. And now, even though I go through so much, I mean, I just went through an awful past six months um that i'm just kind of like coming out of now where some of my depression anxiety really you know triggered was triggered but even in that i was like i you know just knew that things were eventually going to get better and i just really want to yeah reach out to anyone who's dealing with that now that it can i'm mm-hmm. here alive and megan went through the same thing and here we mm-hmm. are we're okay we're in you know thriving <laughs> even though we still struggle sometimes mm-hmm. like it's okay like life is beautiful it's worth living and I really just encourage you to get treatment if this is something that you're dealing with and to know that there
0: is hope. Even if it doesn't feel like there is hope. There always is. Yeah. And if you're feeling alone in this, like you are not alone. There are people who want you to be here mm-hmm. and stay here and and we want you to stay here and be here. So, you know, if you even if you want to reach out to us, send us a DM on Instagram or whatever it is just to kind of share your story or what you're going through you know let's, let's start a conversation let's make this something that is open where mm-hmm. people can talk about this and share this and process out loud because that can be so helpful you know that's our heart in this podcast let's talk about it that's you know kind of our our motif for life is we want mm. this to be something that is not hidden in the darkness, but is out in the open where it can be addressed and discussed and where healing can take place. Yeah. So Jackie, thank you so much for sharing your story and for being open and allowing people in. I think it's so valuable for us to be vulnerable because we realize that we're not alone and listening and so I hope this has encouraged our listeners I know it encouraged me to hear you talk and to share your story Um, and we're going to continue doing that on this podcast we're going to continue sharing our stories and our thoughts let's talk